Hey everyone, it's Will and James here. Welcome to the Pure Sport Project. We want to jump into the minds of people we find inspiring from all walks of life. Bringing you their stories, lessons learned along the way, and future plans. So tune in for some of them wholesome yarns. Welcome back to the Pure Sport Project. It's been a little while since we've done an Inside Pure Sport and this one is actually a very, very special one because we are joined by Mr. William Good. It's been a while since you've been here. I'm back, baby. And I'm actually the guest, not a host. So this is exciting. And as always with Inside Pure Sport, the man himself, Mr. Grayson Hart. I'm just bloody happy to be here. But most of all, I want to know, I want the people to know, why, Will, have you been away from Pure Sport for 30 days, although you've been representing us amazingly? Where have you been, bro? Talk to us. Outline it for us. I've been away from home, been away from my family. But no, the mission was, um, I was running 48 marathons in the 48 counties of England in 30 days, um, raising money for Macmillan Cancer Support, raising awareness for them and doing it all in honour of my mum who passed away. Amanda just over th- well three and a half years ago now to cancer so yeah an important mission like sh- showing her strength and what I saw but also I feel I need to do these things to represent her and kind of show that uh, emotion can be positive energy I do these things sporadically they come up from time to time but this was my biggest challenge by far do you want to give us a little background of why why you run why you do these very long challenges what other ones you've done just to kind of put this one into into context yeah so i was playing semi-professional rugby hated the thought of running didn't understand why anyone would do it i thought you'd just go out it starts to suck quite quickly and then just gets progressively worse from there like i'd never been on a 5k before a chance trip to la meant that one morning i woke up at like four o'clock in the morning and i was like what can i do there was a beach there so i was like well Running along the beach, watching a sunrise actually sounds all right. So I went and did that. And when I got back, at the time, mum was going through cancer treatment. She gave me a call. So I'd just actually been on, it worked out being 14 kilometers, didn't know at the time. Got back, had that amazing running feeling, that runner's high or whatever, or your first long run. So I was on top of the world. I was like, wow, that was actually fun. And then she called me and said I was in remission. So I can pinpoint that specifically as the happiest moment of my life. And then she unfortunately passed away nine months after that to non-Hodgkin's lymphoma cancer, so it came back. But whatever happened in my mindset at that point was, one, I needed to make it mean something. I couldn't just have like an excuse and being like, oh, I've been through a tragedy, so I'm going to fuck everything up. I was like, what can I do? And initially, I just found myself running. So running became my therapy. She passed away in the January, so the Christmas after, I wasn't looking forward to to it at all. Um, And I was like, what can I do to avoid it almost? And my way of avoiding it, but also like being a present to her and kind of not just hiding away on Christmas and probably crying was to run a marathon, my first ever one. And people couldn't really get their head around someone running a marathon on Christmas Day. So it went well, raised money for Macmillan, felt amazing about it. And then as soon as that finished, it was like, okay, I really enjoyed that. I've made a difference. I've got some people saying they've been through something similar and that they've seen my story and it's helped them in some kind of way. So I was like, what can I do? And then the next thing was, I was like, oh, I'll run, I'll run from the top of the UK to the bottom. And someone was like, why don't you just do John O'Groats Land's End? And I was like, I've heard of that, but that's cycling, isn't it? And it's basically the most northeast part of the UK to the most southwest. Completed that in 16 days. Got back to real life again. I always run a marathon on Christmas Day. 
And then last Christmas, I decided to up it a bit, did the 12 marathons of Christmas. So one marathon a day, for 12 days, finishing on Christmas day again. And then, yeah, the one after that was what I just completed, 48.30. So that's a, as brief as I could make it. One thing that is really quite fascinating in my view to point out is, um, and I'm not a, I'm not, and I'm not a runner by any means. If people see me on the rugby field, my job was scrum half, and I, I was meant to run and try to get to the rucks, but I was the least eloquent runner around. I self-proclaimed scuttler. Um, <laughs> but I think one thing that's really interesting is when you set out on this journey, Will, you were what I would describe as a henchman. You were a very solid, well-built girthy <laughs> midfield rugby player yeah i was like you but we were both i was kind of the right shape and you may as well have had my position i was an oversized scrum half you can uh, only you can only call a previous rugby player girthy and it'd be a compliment and i mean the majority of people who do these ultra marathons these very long distances quite lean light people are the ones you know obviously people go out and take on these challenges and, and do these things and it's running for all different body shapes and all different people without a doubt. But the people that take on the type of challenges that you were doing, you know, that John O'Gotsa lands in running consecutive marathons, they're usually significantly lighter. I mean, your frame is a lot lighter than you were back then when you were a henchman, but even now still you're in, in comparison to some of these guys like the Robbie Ballingers, who's a good friend and kind of, I guess, a bit of a mentor in the running space. Definitely, to you. he's my Yoda. He's a, he's a quite a lean, lot lighter frame, isn't he? And it just takes a lot more pounding on the joints and stuff when you're a bigger... Yeah, for person. context, I was, when I was playing rugby in, in my lifting days, I was 100 kilos. But then even when I started John O'Goat Salon's End, I was 96. And I think before I started 4830, I was still around 92 so no by no means am i light and if if you don't know kilos i was about probably 200 pounds when i started this it's a thick boy in the running sphere yeah like Big that's boy. not that's not normal yeah but, ad's a thick boy of the you know <laughs> crossfit space uh which is you know a pretty thick space you were the thick boy you were the yeah. jd of the running space eh? Thick boys for life. Yeah, thick boys on campus. But yeah, man. Now, Will, bloody great to have you back. And for us, it was an absolute honor to see you out there, what you were going, you know, taking on mentally and physically and the, the way in which you went about it. Um, it was, we we're so proud to have you. You know, people see you as you're one of us. You are pure sport you know and so whatever you do you're representing us so that was a real honor for us and i know one of the greatest things about your running journey or from in my view is how many people you've inspired to take on running um and i think the coolest thing about that is you've shown that normal people can love running and it become a really positive part of their life and i think in a similar sense but to probably a, a lesser scale jd has in the functional fitness space like jd loves functional fitness don't you and i think you've shown a lot of people that it can be a real you can have someone with a career and a lot of ambition in your career 
and that career doesn't have to be functional fitness for you to love functional fitness and that to be a big element of your life. And I think, Will, you're someone who running is a huge chunk of your life, but you've also got focuses and loves and drive and passion for other areas, your career and other areas of life. But running is still a massive part for your mental and physical health. And I think your passion has created Pure Sport Run Club, which has gone to, you know, we're getting 150 plus people every week on a Wednesday uh, in London running. Run Club in Hong Kong, Pure Sport Run Club, Pure Sport Run Club Auckland, Pure Sport Run Club Bristol, Pure Sport Run Club Newcastle. To, And it's normal people coming together for the love of running. And that's been inspired by someone who, you know, you, you what you do is pretty freakish, but you carry yourself and portray yourself as a normal person. That inspires us fellow normal people to be like, I want to do something good for my wellness. I want to connect with a community that supports and encourages me being well and looking after myself and testing myself. Not testing yourself to the limit of running 48 marathons. I mean, if you want to do that, go for it. But... That's not our main voice. Yeah, like getting out there, moving. You know, we did the Couch to 5K challenge, which was for people who had never, ever ran. We get people coming to Run Club who have never run, who are running 500 meters in their first week, then walking, then a K and building up to their first ever 5K. And friendships are rising. And I think that's, for me, the coolest thing about you, Will, is the relatability. You know, you're not saying, oh, I want to be an Olympic athlete or I want to be or I want to portray myself as like some elite mindset. It's like, well, no, we can do this, you know, and this is what's possible. So bloody credit to you and what you're building with, with, with Run Club as well for Pure Sport. I think one thing I'm really fascinated to understand more about was we first connected when you were doing Joggle, John mm. got to Land's End. And from, I know the outside perspective is one perspective and I know you would have been going through many mental ups and downs physically and mentally through this challenge you've just undertaken, the 4830. But I know the John got to land in from my view was you were in a lot more of a dark place. There was a documentary about it um, and man, like, but the fact that you completed it considering where you were was pretty bloody amazing. But talk us through how your experience shifted from that first big, big challenge that you did all the way through to this one and what has changed, maybe the lead up, your training, your capacity, whatever, please. Mm. I'm fascinated to know. Well, Joggle for me was like baptism by fire. Let's put it that way. I'd run, I think it was three marathons and two ultras before then. I'd been running properly, probably about a year. I go into a lot of things like uh, ignorance is ignorance is bliss. I'm not the best at training. I've never really done any kind of training program for any distance I've done. Uh, I just steadily try and up the mileage. But like the whole ignorance is bliss thing for me. I remember starting John O'Groats Land's End, and I was like, "Well, this is gonna this is gonna suck at some point, obviously, because it's a big challenge, 875 miles. My original goal was to do it in 14 days, and I remember growing up as a kid and especially with my mum, if I had a cold or I had a headache or something, I'd be like, oh, come on, like give me I uh, I need some pain help, like give me an ibuprofen or something. And she'd always be very reluctant to give me anything, which is, I think, a very, well, very good thing. But I'd always be on the other side of things like, nah, I want a quick fix. Like I want something to help me now. Why can't I just have 
some high grade stuff basically so when she passed away she obviously had a lot of pain medicine medicines and i'm not proud to say this but i took her her codeine with me i remember it still had a name on the outside of the packet and all it says on the outside is may cause drowsiness and it was like take up to eight eight pills a day maximum so i was like okay great and that, that rugby mentality is like it may cause drowsiness for other people but yeah. not not me yeah it's yeah. kind of like, you're like nah, nah. you think it's just there to like put people off in like the biggest way but it's actually this it's actually giving you an a grain of a teaspoon of the information about what's actually going to happen because of it i always thought it would be like the worst case scenario so I see may cause drowsiness. I'm like, sweet as nut, I'm going to be tired. So may cause drowsiness. I've already got that. So let's go with eight a day. Quickly got into the challenge. First day went okay. Nothing to write home about. I'd done an ultra distance before. I was on a high, sweet as. And then obviously wake up the next day and that's the first time I'm in something totally new. I've never ran, before that, I'd never ran a marathon or an ultra distance. And then the next day done anything because I'd have been in a lot of pain. I was in a lot of pain, so there I go. Here we go, codeine time. Let's hit it. So I'm taking codeine. I'm taking higher strength ibuprofen as well, and I quickly lose track of who I am and redefined runners high in a way that I was actually running high. The codeine was having very adverse effects, but me and the team were kind of naive to it at the start. In fact, we were for the first nine days because people just look in. We're a bunch of dudes. They're like ah, he's going through pain. So they were quite happy. The team were quite happy to give me them. They're like, yeah, he probably needs the painkillers, whatever. It was actually my ex that called up one of the guys and was like, because we weren't telling anyone this was happening, by the way, which is almost like a cover up in its own and shows that we shouldn't have been doing it. And she was like, is Will on something? Because he doesn't seem, he doesn't seem himself anymore. Like he seems like really faded. Like has he been taking codeine? And then it actually hit. I remember speaking to the team about it on the last one. It actually hit them mentally. They were like, they tried to deny it, but then they knew in their heads. They're like, well, yeah, he is, but he probably shouldn't be. I had all this crazy information, knees, ankles, anywhere you could have information. I had it. I wasn't sleeping at night. I'd be tossing around in pain, but also in this weird faded world i was hallucinating i remember going one of the scariest nights for me was i was going i went past this phone box and it was quite dark and i saw three of them and it was filled with bodies like pressed up next to it and in my head i was like that's really not right and my the, my two best or the, my best friends elliot clemson and elliot reader had come to see me that night i wasn't even that happy to see them and in the darkness i was walking robbie and i said to him i was like i need to stop because i'm scared which didn't make sense because I'm just walking on it. It's just a bit dark. Like my mind was totally like screwed, skewed backwards, whatever. And then on day nine, I got told I couldn't take coding anymore. My initial reaction was like, this is actually what I said. I was like, calm down, mum." Like that whole bit going back to when I was a kid, like I want a quick fix. I want something to work now, not thinking about the consequences. So I was like, whatever, fine won't take him and at this point dean adamson shout out dean he'd been he'd been in touch with you and everyone could see that i was struggling and i wasn't the same kind of me and he'd spoken to you about sending some cbd up so this was like the origin story of actually why i'm here so i suddenly had cbd instead i got told i couldn't take the code and i was like well i may as well take cbd then (laughs) i was like that'll give me something (laughs) Mm -hmm. and i remember going to going to sleep that night and the team wake me up in the morning 
and they're initially concerned because I looked really tired, which I hadn't obviously done. I maybe looked like a ghost before, but I looked like drained. And it was like a light bulb moment for me because I was like, wait, no, no, no. You just woke me up from actual deep sleep. And it was like, shit, I'm ready to go. I was clear of mind. The inflammation in my knees and ankles had gone. And in the documentary as well, you see it, Josh and Robbie are like, they were like bewildered. They, they couldn't understand what had happened. They were like, all of a sudden, he's like back to his normal self. All that inflammation's gone. He's happy. And now he's like running again rather than walking around like a zombie and swearing at everyone or just being a general prick. It's, it's fascinating, eh? Because I think a lot of people like these drugs have become normalized. Yes. And don't get me wrong, like these painkillers are helpful for certain um, times, you know, if, if, if it's like a post-surgery or there's been a traumatic injury or, you know, like, like there are cert- we're not against painkillers, but I think what it's the awareness of what they are, which is the issue, like they're so normalized, we don't realize or consider the fact that like, these, are, these are opium. And yes, that in this form can be helpful for pain relief and that's a good thing at certain times, but it's the consistent and reliant use and the buildup in your body that has a really like harmful effect. And that's how inspired me, uh, that's what inspired me to explore natural alternatives because as a rugby player with a degenerative osteoarthritic knee, I was heavy every day on coding, on tramadol, these opioids. Mm. And I actually started to notice my gut health, brain fog, sleep quality, mood, I was feeling anxious, all these things. And the only thing I could attribute to was I had normalized the use of these things like five, six a day. And and what you're referring to, like the CBD would have done some amazing things for you and, and we know that they did and the way that they synergistically interact with the body's receptors to bring balance and relieve stress and, and inflammation. But just as powerful as it was the CBD, what was probably just as powerful was getting that mm. shit out of your system, exactly. you know? Uh, and that's one of the great things about natural alternatives. It gives an opportunity to get that other stuff out because I think what people don't realize is, yes, there's a short-term benefit, but the long-term use actually leads to more detrimental effects when you're taking these opioids and painkillers consistently day after day. Um, and as well, what's fascinating is, these opioid-based uh, painkillers, they actually have, have an effect on your respiratory system. Like your lungs don't operate as well. Your blood pressure drops. And for a dude who's out there like, running all these miles a day consistently, like that's not a good mix, you know? So um, I, 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 it makes sense why you felt like a new man when you got it out of the system and you replaced it with a natural alternative. I almost feel blessed that I went through it though because it was like a real eye-opener for me and a stark realisation because as I've touched on, like I was so naive and thinking like I need the drugs are there so let's use this anytime just to help me with something yeah. and not that, that necessary. The, that's the mindset we're in in this world, unfortunately, is like, okay, if I feel pain, I'll take this to get rid of the pain. And then, but then we're not thinking about, oh, but then what's next? Because if we actually think about it, it's like do something natural and that is a goes to the source of the issue. And yeah, you may still feel that initial pain. You're not going to mask it, but you're working towards a solution. Whereas what happens is 
we look for the quick fix, we mask it, but and we prolong yeah. or we perpetuate the issue. So that that's a you, what you experience here is like a magnified version of life. I did it moment. in a quick yeah. quick version. I did that in sixteen days. I saw the whole the whole shebang. Yeah, it's bad. But that's what the stark difference was between that and this one and like the successes. So I wanted to do John O'Groats Lands in 14 days, ended up being 16 days and I was half dead for most of it. Wasn't my usual self, but got over that and then experienced the challenges I should have done. So the challenge still has to be tough, but I was there and present and feeling the pain I should have done to learn the lessons before I was just totally masking them would have come out of it. If I'd have carried on firstly, I wouldn't have finished it, but if some by some miracle I dragged myself up until the finish I wouldn't have learned the lessons I'd needed to learn or anything about myself because it would have all been well masked with not feeling what I should have been so 4830 was totally the opposite I didn't take I didn't take a paracetamol didn't take an ibuprofen took absolutely none of that and exactly as I planned it to go it did and I felt very present the whole time I still went through those tough moments, obviously, where energy was down and you you go through the times where you go up and down and whatnot. But I was totally present with it and just used natural remedies to help me through it. And it, it was amazing. I'd, people were like, oh, what hurts? Like, I've got some shin pain now. It makes sense. I'm still not the smallest guy. And I did over, I think it was two and a half million steps running an average of, I think it was 42 miles a day. I don't know if I've done two and a half million steps in my whole life. <laughs> <laughs> Holy but yeah, so there's this, some context for you. Yeah, so the last challenge was 875 miles and this one was 1,258, I believe. So you're going to have some repercussions from that. But like the whole time, and I think it speak the most obvious way to show how this whole thing went was the last marathon was a 306, which was my fastest the whole time. And I was thinking the whole way through the challenge, I was like, I'm finishing at London here and I want to, I want to show like the full circle of how, how I've come through, I don't know, mental and emotional pain, but also like to shout about not taking those quick fixes, having a proper recovery program in place, sticking to a plan. And sure, I was like the whole time people, when I first said, I think it was to Robbie or someone, they were like, what are you going to do London? And I was like, I'm shooting for sub three. And they were like, what? Honestly, like, when I heard that, <laughs> uh, I was like, this, i got to be honest with you, Will, because I, you, I see life through my lens. We all do. And then you, you got to take your lens off and consider from another experience. But even like 48, 30, I was like, bro, like, how, how can you complete that? Because I'm thinking of like me when I run, how I feel with my aches and my knee and all of that and probably my really not great and efficient running technique that isn't that good to recover quickly and go again. But man, ugh, even to do the 48 in the fashion that you did, but then to go shoot for a sub three and finish in the time you did... I think a lot of people like, wow, like, what does this do? How? <laughs> yeah, it was mad, but it's like, even in John O'Groat, it's like, I've always had a mental a mentality that I'm going to do it. There's people who always ask, like, 
at what point was it really hard and do you think you couldn't do it? Never. Sure, it was really hard the whole way through, I'm not going to lie, but at no point do I allow a single shred of doubt in myself that I'm going to complete it. And it's, I think, I think I get the confidence from my reason, not because of how I am normally as a person. Like in normal life, like I don't say this is, I'm not like regimented, like I'm going to do this, 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 and I'm going to stick to my calories, this, this, and this. I'm not that regimented. But when I have such a, a strong reasoning behind it, I don't allow myself pliability to even consider it not going the way it did. And th- so obviously there were some days where you ran single marathons, quite a few days where you were, you ran double marathons, which in itself is a bit of a ridiculous thing to say that we're just saying, yeah, some days you run two marathons, some days you only run one. But each day is obviously in a very different county and the task at hand varies from day to day. But was there a bit more of a, a routine that you followed? Was it specific to if you had one marathon or if you had two marathons and then what kind of things did you put in place that were just staples every single day? So I'll just take, it was 18 doubles. So that's what I did most of the time. And you, f- you figure out your routine along the way, but this is how it went as an average. I'd wake up at six, ready to be running at half six. So I'd have a light breakfast because I didn't like running, feeling heavy. Like if you're from me porridge in the morning, I'll probably give you a backhand. So I'd do that have a light breakfast like some cereal whatever I'd get out the door and the team would be like they know they don't they're not going to see me for an hour and a half or two so they'll go 10 to 13 miles away and that'll be my first stop come in have a proper feed whatever and then I'd go out and it'd be another hour and a half that hour and a half I'd get hungry in so I'd sometimes find something en route other times I'd get back and have I don't know like some scrambled eggs like a fresh fitness food meal whatever some snacks and then it would be the last six miles on average so I could it was like a 10 10 10 go up 10 miles go up 10 miles go up for 10k because that's six miles and then as soon as I got got in from there it was like another big meal and then I'd go into my nap so I'd use the new calm device nap nap for 30 to 40 minutes I'd have my normal tech boots on do that wake up take on quite a lot of sugar this was my opportunity to get sugars in and then it'd be the exact same process repeated. So out for an hour and a half, two hours, out for an hour and a half. And then hopefully I've got around six miles left. But yeah, I'd say that was an average. And then on um, a single marathon day, I had I came up with the no alarm rule. That's what I was told to the team. It's like we don't set alarms today. When we wake up, we wake up. It was almost, we. Ma- I made it a win or I made it like a, a luxury day or something that felt like a celebration. It sounds dumb because it's a whole marathon, but that's what it felt like to me. Like I really looked forward to the, the day. That's what kept me like mentally going through the tough times of the doubles. It was like, I've got like another double day and then, um, then just a single. Like that's what I'd think about. So no alarm rule, but then it'd be exactly the same process. 10, 10, 6 get it done. And then it was like, again, pressure off, go to the next county. If we could go out for dinner, we would. So it was a real like celebrate nice day. So yeah, that was the averages. Did you do it just on times or was it distance or was it a mixture of both? You know, when you do your 10, 10 or you may run for an hour, hour and a half. It was usually done on time and that would be my goal. So the first hour and a half to two hours, I'm thinking, by the time the team are like, we're here, I might even send them further on, but I want to have in my head that I've done 
10 to 13 miles because that's that's such a big that's like a big chunk of it um you're in double figures you've either got a half left or 16 miles and you can break it down more easily so what really fascinated me was you said you did this naturally because obviously with joggle there was quite a lot of um pharmaceutical added in um if you want to listen to that, actually go back and listen to one of the first Pure Sport Project podcasts. It's one I listened to before I worked at Pure Sport and heard all about the codeine and the reaction to that. So when you said that you did this one naturally, honestly fascinated and blew my mind that the Pure Sport products that you used helped you more than these pharmaceutical grade painkillers that you're using last time. Can you take us through what products you're actually using? Definitely. And that was... As I said earlier, it was probably one of the biggest learnings for me in like solidifying the belief I had before of how much it helped me on juggle, doing it this way completely the other way. I, I know like halfway through juggle, I switched to CBD, which was brilliant. So this was my like ultimate test, doing it, doing again, something similar, slightly longer, but let's see how it goes. And yeah, it was incredible. So I worked out, I was taking... I think it was 200 milligrams of CBD a day, which is obviously above what people recommend, but recommendations are there to be, <laughs> I don't know, it's like you choose what's good for you. Um, I normally take, I take more than 70 milligrams on a day-to-day -day basis anyway. I'm not saying do it, but that's just my choice and it works for me. So yeah, I upped the dosage quite a lot and I'd start the day with 50 milligrams of boost so you get that natural energy kick from ginseng as well. Take it alongside my my coffee to balance out that that caffeine spike and drop off. Obviously, I'm I was I was getting quite tired, so caffeine was great, but I can't afford to have the drop off as well. So that really helped mellow it out. So I had 50 milligrams of CBD in there, so a whole milliliter of boost. Get my first marathon done, and then when it's time for a nap, found clarity real useful. Ashwagandha really calm the mind down kind of puts me back at balance so I was ready to take that new calm nap and like I've said coming out of that nap I felt ready there was no there was no anxiety about doing the next one or trying to put it off it was simply I woke up felt calm and I was like okay I've got I'm going to do a marathon so that was a real amazing split the nap and the clarity at the time was just the perfect setup. And then when I finished, uh, before I was going to bed, it would be a whole milliliter of 3,000. So that's 100 milligrams. And I'd take unwind capsules alongside that. And then that's straight knockout. Brilliant times, go to sleep. So yeah, that was how I was doing the CBD. And then I obviously had the topicals as well. I'd always start the day and put muscle and joint balm on my calves, quads, hamstrings. And then one of the weirdest things as well, like you assume from doing this you're going to get doms like you're going to get your muscles are going to ache and your joints are going to ache i can i can swear on my life that i didn't have any muscular pain and no no joint pain in my knees i remember the back of my achilles hurt at one point but nothing through the ankles as well so i was actually i was actually shocked i was thinking day 3 because i'm not used to doing this kind of distance like i'm going to be in trouble every step's going to hurt it did obviously get to points where it hurt. My shin has caused me issue and it has still since. I can't run right now. But yeah, muscle and joint wise, I've been sweet. 
And since I've done one gym session at ARC and I was, I felt so much worse after that than I did after the London Marathon. Why are you hating on gym, bro? <laughs> Gym's better than running. Wait, I'm not hating on it. I'm just saying that's just what, that's exactly what happened. And you know, doms are good. That's, that's changing. But yeah, I had, I had no real pain other than the, sh- the shin, which was sort of reoccurring from probably halfway through and yeah, needs to be fixed now. So 30 days is a long time to keep up motivation. Obviously like day one is brand new, it's novel, it's ready to go. But how did you keep up your motivation over the course of 30 days? Motivation's um, an interesting one and it might not be an expected answer, I guess. But for me, there was a total lack of motivation. So I wasn't, I didn't wake up motivated to do something and I didn't wake up feeling unmotivated unmotivated to run it was just what I was doing so yeah a total absence of motivation but the way I describe it is I was simply there to do the task so I didn't need external pressure or internal pressure making me do it it was as it was literally as simple as I knew I was doing that that day and that was set in stone and I knew the next day what I was doing so yeah zero or best better yet absence of total total absence for motivation was there a particular moment in this challenge that you recall whether it be mental physical emotional that was like the the biggest challenge for you is there something that stands out there was there was a there was a few moments where i remember i think it was it was either Dover or Dorset, wherever um, Exeter is. And I think it was the final marathon of the first block where I did a triple-double, so three days of doubles in a row. The first two days had gone well, and then the the on the third day, the, my first marathon in Cornwall went great, but it was emotionally taxing for me. And I didn't really – I kind of figured this out later in the challenge, but – in Cornwall, I actually regained like a, a memory I'd lost, but I knew what it, I knew what it was, but I didn't have anything visual to attribute it to. So when we were like kids growing up, whatever, uh, mum and dad took us to Cornwall and we went to, everyone goes to Padstow, right? To go to Rick Stein's restaurant for fish and chips and mussels or whatever. So we'd done that and I'd always known the story, but I didn't have, as I said, like that visual aspect of it. And so... We wake up, I wake up in Padstow, unbelievably beautiful morning. I then go out to start my run. I'm not feeling, I'm not feeling too good, even though it's so beautiful. It's super foggy, but the sun's rising. It couldn't be more pretty. But then I go past that Rick Stein restaurant and I remember as a family queuing up to go and get fish and chips there and then going and sitting on the edge of uh, where the boat stock or whatever. And I remember sitting there, like throwing chips at, and seagulls going in the water to grab them, whatever. So I had like a, a very visual representation of a memory that I'd, I thought I'd lost. And then I was also, for some reason, listening to Andrea Bocelli in the morning. And that's got another story to it, but it's like, it's one that I connect with my mum over. Basically, I bought her tickets to see him live with my grandma and then she passed away before she could go and see him and then I went and basically cried through the whole thing but it was it was nice so I was listening to it got back that memory was was kind of struggling in the run but then 
a certain song came on and then it was like a moment I had in Joggle as well where I was all of a sudden running again, didn't really realize I was, but very emotional at the same time. So I was actually crying and running, crying and running. But I don't know, it's like you, I f you feel lifted. It's like a, it's a good feeling, but you're obviously outwardly very emotional. And so I went through that, got through the Cornwall Marathon. It was amazing. I loved it. I took the, it's, it was a trail up to, I can't remember what it's called, Bowdoin or something. And back down, I definitely said it wrong, but someone will know what I mean. I finished that, felt good. And then we went over to Dorset or Dover again, can't remember. And I ran the first, ran walk the first 10 miles. And then when I got to a stop, I, I couldn't then get back into a run. And what I've since realized was I was like obviously physically drained because of what I'd done so far, but emotionally I'd gone through something again and I just couldn't bring myself to run. So that was my, that was my longest marathon. It was over seven hours. And from mile 10 to 26, I was walking with walking poles. And even though I knew I was going to do it, I was like, is this going to be like a recurring theme? Like, I know I've got a single tomorrow, but when I do my next double, am I going to get to a point where I can't break stride into a run and it's going to get to where I'm finishing late and starting early and like a real horror show of a challenge? Bro, welcome to what my just normal life feels like. <laughs> <laughs> Man, and it's pretty insane. When you've got those thoughts going through your head, because that is, you're, you're doing it for a long, long time, that must be very, very draining what are the thoughts that go in your head to counteract that i think it's i think it's like shaking yourself back to back to reality and your reasons for doing it like when i when i went back and realized it was like oh shit it's because i was emotionally drained too i think for the most part in these challenges whilst i feel closest to my mum and i'm thinking about it all the time that gives that gives me strength and that's, I feel like I'm walking around with like my chest high because I'm, I'm proud of what I'm doing. So I think it was just getting back to that mindset again of what I was doing while I was doing it and not, not taking that, that memory and emotional like connection I had as almost negative. I just then took, I took the power from it that I wanted to and then kind of, well, ran with it. And yeah, it didn't get, it didn't get any worse from there in terms of time taken, like I had other examples of like physical pain, whatever, but that from that point on, there was never like another like real downer moment. When I, when I was uh, 21, my old man passed away and that was the like most difficult thing I've ever faced. And I had about a year and a bit of like real heartache and like just hating the world and like coping with alcohol and all sorts, getting into a lot of trouble. And then one day I, I like had this realization and it was like, I don't want to sound too deep, but it was almost like a moment of just normal guy enlightenment, like not like some spiritual guru, but like it was like a light bulb. And I had this like sense that I knew that even though my dad had died, that we were still connected and it, it sounds kind of like out there, but it really helped me realign my thought process to just go about everyday life with more like ease and like freedom and happiness rather than feeling like a victim. I was like, actually, I feel empowered. Some people go like they take mushrooms and psychedelics and ayahuasca and all these things. 
I, I think facing so much sadness and trauma allowed me to like see something that I hadn't realized before. Do you feel through your running and putting your mind and body through such exertion, it allows some of these barriers and difficulties and challenges to kind of like dissolve and feel you feel more connection? Did you ever experience anything like that when you're through your running? Definitely. I'd say when you're, when you're at your most physically drained, it's interesting. You can't, you can't buy those experiences and you can't expect them. They only happen when you go beyond something you've never done before. So I think from a physical aspect, draining yourself to 0% and then carrying on, you are in a different mental state. As you say, those, those normal barriers of this and that kind of dissipate slightly. And I feel an extreme sense of connection when I'm, when I'm out there at these moments of, I don't know if I can take another step. It's very strange that you have to get to that, but it's also often why people go back and do these challenges. It's like, you don't have to have, um, I guess, a trauma or something you're trying to reconnect to, but you just, you lose a lot of ego in it. Your life is, at the moment, your life choices are very simple. We live in a world that's buzzy, buzzy, buzzy. You've got 50 things going on at one time. You've got 50 DMs, you've got 100 WhatsApp messages, whatever. But in those moments, your connection to this this world we live in now is somewhat reduced. And Well, it's actually massively reduced because you don't care about any of it. All you're thinking about is your one purpose and one task, which is to get through another few steps. But yeah, I felt... I feel extremely connected to like a, a bigger vision that my mum's my still here. It's the reason I'm doing it. And like, she's very much in me. I take, I feel like I'm at my strongest when I'm at my weakest because I have her on my side mm. or I'm, or she's part of me and helping me keep moving forwards. Yeah. I'm a firm believer in some of the most difficult things we ever face in our life. Uh, can be our biggest blessings if we allow them. And it doesn't mean you're not going to face heartache, sadness, trauma, all of that. But if you allow what you see through that to open your eyes, that can be a huge blessing. And from what I know from you, the loss of your mum was the by far the toughest thing in my own saying, I, I know, and I can relate to you. But you've actually allowed that to be a gift and and that's actually rather than thinking of your of course you'll miss your mum like I miss my dad but you, you think of them in, in gratitude for what their life like their life wasn't in vain like their loss wasn't in vain it was a gift you know what I mean and that may be hard for some people to understand because you'd never wish it exactly but it sounds counterintuitive and it's actually they've empowered us you know what I mean yeah it was the catalyst of change, really. Like I was living an uneventful life, I guess, before that didn't have much purpose. But that was the that was the single change that has made me do all these things since. So, yeah, that that you get you get a gift from something tragic, really, and it's 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 showing them in a really good light that losing them has has made that change. So. Yeah, it's it's a huge one, really. It's cool, man, and it's and it also shows to me that 
you don't need to go through like a massive loss to also wake up like like but also you don't need to go through something really difficult to be in a shit space in life either like i think you and i can relate because we had a moment losing a loved one a parent at an age where it was you know such an essential time that was very 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 difficult but there are people who are feeling really bogged down in life that haven't faced something that do and that's normal too but there are ways out of it and i know you doing these challenges it ain't about trying to be the man at running it's what it means to you and then the knock-on effect of that is how that can be relatable to other people to see life more clearly you know what i mean uh and they may never run in their lives based upon seeing what you do but it may encourage them to look at life differently which is man it's amazing and i don't and i i wish i got to meet your mum but i i know for sure she would be smiling down on the fact that this is what's arising you know which was pretty bloody cool in my eyes and talking about your mum looking down on you let's talk about your hair because honestly, when you said that, and a lot of people said it to me when they saw your story about why you dyed your hair, it really touched a lot of people, I think. Yeah. So the reason behind that is like getting back into the rugby thing. She liked it and so did like my best friend's mum at the time. We, well, we played together, myself and Jake. Oh, uh, just for context, Will's hair is bright pink. Oh yeah, my hair's bright pink. And they used to love it when we played together and wore bright coloured boots because it was easier to see us on the pitch. So... <laughs> My takeaway from that, and I guess I just had this thought process when I was going out to do it, was like, how can she be in touch with me more? Or how can I make that mean something? And I was like, okay, I'm going to dye my hair all bright pink so she can see me from the clouds, like running around. So, yeah. And I guess it, I, I understand why it touched people because it, it made sense from those stories. But yeah, it was like, it was reassuring to me. And I, I, I liked I liked knowing that, I've had a bright head basically like it sounds strange but I took a, I took a huge deal from it and it's cool that other people understood why yeah so I think everyone can relate to that they have some sort of memory of their mum or their parents or something and they're like oh they used to do this so having that kind of thing that's relatable I think is what touched so many people so like you finished on Sunday that was your final marathon it's now Thursday that we're recording this so one how do you feel because I think a lot of people go through such a big thing and then there's this kind of crescendo of the thing finishing and then it's like, well, what now? So it's been four days, you're back in the office, but yeah, how do you feel after it's all finished now? I'm ha very happy to be back, to get back into normal life. So it's, it's an interesting one. You People think, or I remember I thought as well, when you do a challenge that you're going to come out of it and everything's going to be okay. <laughs> it's like, I'm going to do this challenge and it's going to mean this or it's going to mean that. And I'm going to be fixed and never have to do anything again, basically. Unfortunately, that's incorrect. What actually happens is you're, you obviously have been in, in something for so long. And this has been my, my biggest one, as I say, by distance and length of time. So I only had basically one thing on my mind the whole 30 days, which is running a distance, right? So I only had a limited amount of input into my head of what I had to do and life becomes very simple 
And there's beauty in that, even though it's hard, there's a lot of beauty in living life so simply and knowing what you're doing for the whole day. And then all of a sudden it finishes and you don't have that simple task to do anymore. You And then you're inundated with other narratives. And at first it's basically overwhelming you're you and you need to recover so i get i get tired quicker and especially like from a mental point of view like i haven't been using my brain (laughs) to capacity at all so it's it's reduced basically so afterwards you just you naturally it's good to know it as well but you naturally have a lull like the two i think it was the day before i came into the office i was just like sorting my life out basically tidying things and i just felt down but I, I knew, so I wasn't, I wasn't shocked by it, but, and I'm not going to say I felt depressed, but I was like very low compared to normal. I didn't want to talk to anyone. I just wanted to like get through that day and then get back into like what, what my life is having purpose and being excited about things again. But yeah, it's just like, it's an, it's a natural thing that you're going to, you finish on a high, everything's crazy, great, you've done the challenge, woohoo, and then it's like, it's over, reestablish your normal life and what makes you tick, so. What were you looking forward to most, or like, what did you miss during it? Because obviously you had to give up a lot of stuff of what you would usually do day to day because you had other priorities. So what have you missed the most and what have you missed coming back to? What did I miss? It's going to sound strange, but I, there wasn't really anything I missed. Like... I liked it when I saw friends and family again, but during it, I'll be honest, I didn't, I didn't miss that. I think it's, I think it speaks to what the challenge is answering it that way. It was, I was going to do that and that was it. And I didn't have like, I didn't have any capacity to be thinking about other things. So I'd honestly say I didn't miss, I didn't miss anything other than maybe great coffee at the touch at like walking out here to Bermondsey high street and getting a great coffee. Like sometimes it wouldn't be great, <laughs> but I didn't miss it. <laughs> so like now you're back. What's next? What's next? Because I know in the back of your mind, you've got some sort of yes. run planned in your head. So I've, al- I've always thought, um, I don't know how likely this is. And it also scares me, which is probably, the most dangerous bit because things that scare you, you make you want to do. I've always like my introduction into ultra running or challenges in general was watching Robbie Ballinger who has helped, he helped me on juggle and helped me do this one too, was watching him run across America. So it feels like, it feels like a natural path to want to do that. And I've always thought, well, I'm 27 now. It'd be cool to say I did that before I was 30. Tell you one thing I don't want to do any more running in this country. Yo, I like tropical places, right? I've ran a, the distance. I've ran from fucking Scotland to England, and now I've run in every county. I'm done running in this country, apart from Run Club. Apart from Run Club, Battersea Park, I run there every day. That's one thing that I don't think everyone knows is you turned up to a Run Club uh, <laughs> yeah. two weeks ago. Yeah, to be fair, I did, right, okay, I missed Run Club. Oh, I had to actually. I remember thinking on Wednesdays, like, oh, I wish I could just. I wish I could just do at least five k of this. But not only just turned up to the the Run Club, but did the five k. Which was uh, on top of the thousand plus miles that you did anyway. Yeah, that was that was the first day when I just did singles. So the last five were all singles. I was in Cambridgeshire and I was like, I was like, I want to go run club. So yeah, I pulled up, surprised everyone. 
some people were surprised because they had no idea who I was. <laughs> it's like, it's cool. We get new people every week. So that was cool. But yeah, I was actually too, too slow getting changed. So everyone had taken off and I was like, I don't have the capacity to catch up. So I'll wait until some people come around. So I did the sec the second lap, but yeah, that challenge of running across the U S is something I would think about. I'm not, I'm not saying it's definitely happening, but what my real focus is on now is more doing like actual races. And I've got marathon de Sables next year. I'd like to do the big six marathons. They are Chicago, Boston, New York, London, which I've done, Tokyo, and Berlin. So that's half the reason I was trying to go sub three. It's because that's a Boston qualifier time for my age group. I've done a sub three classic Zurich virtual. <laughs> around Batsy. <laughs> yeah, around Batsy. But no, I'd like to do the big six and just do some more actual races I'd make jokes about myself, but I've done over a hundred marathon distances <laughs> and I've got like five medals. So yeah, I like think the Brighton one was the second ever. Yeah, exactly. Actual race was, that you've done. Yeah. The second official marathon. And the, the, the first one I did was LA in 2018, which was my second ever marathon. So there was a big gap between my second official race and my third. So it'd be nice to have like, I don't know, some memories of some races rather than just making up all these wild challenges and shit all the time. But I'll always do the Christmas day marathon. That's my, that's my point of difference. I guess that that started obviously the Christmas after mum passed away and I can't foresee that ever stopping unless I actually really can't do it. So, yeah. And that's where we started that first unofficial marathon that you did on Christmas day. And now you're running 48 and 30 days. So obviously that's a journey. I think a lot of people see these people that do these crazy challenges or see people at the peak of whatever it is they're involved in and think, oh, I feel inspired by that particular person. I want to do something. And they think, oh, I can't because it looks that person is doing this most ridiculous thing. Anything I do will just won't compare to what they're doing. So if someone was like, right, I feel really inspired about what you've just done there. A nice little reminder is that you started with one marathon. Yeah on Christmas day, but what's another tip you could give someone who's like, right, I want to do something, something that's, I don't know, they're raising money for charity or they're doing it for their own mental health or they're doing it for whatever cause they're doing it for. What tips would you give them? It doesn't have to be running. They could do whatever. Yeah. I've always, I've always said that like you, you might take some kind of inspiration from my story, but you don't have to apply it to running. You can apply it to anything it can be a physical output or it can be something creative. Like people find a lot of solace in, in creative outputs. I'm left-handed and not good at art so or music. So I had none of those options and I had to keep it real simple, which was taking one step <laughs> back to back lots of times. But now tips wise, it's like if you've got a good enough reason for doing something and you truly hold on to that, you will be able to get through basically anything. My challenge may sound stupid and ridiculous. And in some senses it is, but as you said, James, it was like I did my first marathon in, on Christmas day, 2018. So I've fit in a lot into three, three and a half years. And I haven't just made it my life. I haven't ever had a time where what, what have I been doing is just running. I've had a normal job 
or sometimes I have a somewhat normal job now, but like I've always had a normal life and then applied these things as extras. So don't feel like if you are in a nine to five that you can't do something wildly impressive. Don't also feel like you have to apply your entire life to be able to do something, but pick something, stick with it and try and just try and have a plan in place of when you're going to do something. But how I say have a plan in place, the best thing to make action is to book something in. So you may think I want to run seven marathons in seven days. I've seen a bunch of people doing that. That's really cool. And you might not have run your first marathon yet. So plan that for, say you're going to do it in, even if it's a scary time frame. say you're going to do it in six months, make sure you've signed up for your first marathon first. Make sure you get a couple of those in the books. Make sure you sign up for an ultra so you've gone past the marathon before. But take action. Don't say you're going to do something or think this is a big dream. I need this, this, and this to be in place before it. Like take pride and take ownership in that you're going to do something and just just do it. That's a Nike slogan. But seriously, action over thinking sometimes is the best thing and it's been what I've always done I've not necessarily had the training plan or the ultimate structure to what I've done but I've made a decision and once that decision is made there's nothing like I'm unwavering in that I'm gonna do it so there are probably quite a few memorable moments during 48 marathons probably some ones you probably want to forget as well but during that time what were your most profound moments if there's any that st- like kind of stick out to you yeah, there's quite a few, but there's definitely two in particular that will stay with me probably forever. And as a runner, as a human, I guess you don't usually get this high concentration of big memories or big change. So I guess that's why these types of excursions are like a truly valuable life experience. So the first one, which is one of my greatest running feelings of all time, I was in Derbyshire, so I was doing the Peak District, and I remember the start of the route was horrific. Basically, you think Peak District, you think it's going to be hilly, and I was like, when I remember doing it on Strava, being like, this one is going to suck to make, and I did the point to point, and I clicked the button, mostly on road, minimize elevation, that's how I did all of them, by the way, and then it was like super limited uh, elevation, I was like, wow, that's strange. Anyway, I started in Bakewell. And then immediately went on to a trail. And I was like, this is really bad news. Because it was wet and it was so tight and there was thing that was like above my head. <laughs> it was mad. I was like, I think I've really fucked this one up. And then I'm like, nah, just make it through this bit. And I know there's a road at the end because I can see on the map. Get to the road. It's an A road. I also need my team to come help me because this was the only time I needed the car behind me with its hazards on, which when I did joggle was like all the time. But this was the only moment I needed it. And it was just a mile. And then I got to this thing called the Monsal Trail. Big up the Monsal Trail. Flat as a pancake and truly spectacularly beautiful. And on this trail, I think it's like nine miles long, maybe. On this trail, there's like four or five tunnels and they're lit. But in the nighttime, for some reason, it sounds counterintuitive. At night, when the sun goes down, the lights go off. So I think these tunnels are pitch black. I'd done the whole trail in the light and I was coming back up it and then I was surprised by my brother. So I was somewhat extra motivated to 
finish in a good time because they'd stopped at this little cafe bit that did pizzas and stuff, stopped serving stuff at eight. And I was like, okay, I'm going to turn it on now. It was my second marathon of the day, but I'm turning it on because my brother surprised me. I'm happy to see him. Charlie had also turned up. I was like, extra motivated. I'm going to do an out and back from this cafe, still on the trail. So I go out. I think I had nine. I had Yeah, I had nine miles left. So I went out four and a half miles along the trail. Lights were still on fine. And then I knew when I got to the other side, I have this playlist, Angry Gym playlist. I was like, I've had it since I was 18 and I've added to it when some mad shit comes on. I think everyone has one that goes to the gym, right? Biscuit and that kind of old school. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, everyone's got it. Everyone's got DMX. Uh, <laughs> X gonna give it to you on it. It's Mark. Yeah. Yeah. It's that playlist. And I'm like, I'm putting that on because that's gonna like really rile me up to run this last four and a half miles hard. I'm getting back so I can order a pizza and have a beer with my my brother and the other guys. So as I'm running back, I get to the first tunnel. I'm already kind of like heated and having those feelings of this is gonna be like quite profound as you say moment and then I get to the first tunnel and I'm like shit it's pitch black how can I run through this and the first thing I think is I'll get my phone light out I'm thinking oh, I've got low batteries so that might not work but it's not that low and then I get to it and I notice where the lights are there's little green LEDs so the lights lined the middle of the tunnel so in my head as soon as I got it it was like and Foo Fighters was playing all my life, big tune. And I get to that tunnel, it's playing. I've got it on like full volume. Eardrums are definitely buggered now. And then I just keep running because I see those little green lights and I know, I know that's the middle. So I'm sprinting through these tunnels that are anywhere between like 300 and 800 meters long. And I remember just going through it and having chills in my entire body and like just like old school feeling of being jacked up. But like, it's a, it's a weird one. Cause I was like emotional thing. My brother was there like angry. Cause I was listening to that, that style of music, but also like weightless where you have whatever your version of runners highest. So going through those tunnels, I remember getting back to the team now, like how I, I actually walked the last mile. So I don't need to do anymore. And also was like damage limitations, but I got back to the team and I was just like, I remember saying to Robbie, I was like, that's up there well as I can think right now with one of the best running experiences of my life running in the pitch black as fast as you can feels unbelievably good is all I'm saying don't try this at home <laughs> and then the second one was the last double so I was in Rutland I'd done Northamptonshire earlier and that's when I put that Instagram post out I was like not feeling it today never had so many responses to a message which is nice but then I like went back I revisited that and I was like I didn't want sympathy from that I don't feed off of attention and especially sympathetic attention that wasn't what the goal was with that it was just being like here's a slice of humble pie like all I try and put out there is when I'm feeling good but sometimes like this is a challenge to be fair the reason I did it was because donations were they were still brilliant but not like what I wanted them to be so in a certain way it was like if you need to see me suffer to want to donate, this is where I am actually at right now. Obviously, there was a big outreach. It was amazing. And I, I, I basically relayed this in a, like a, I just did a straight up IGTV thing. I just posted it out there. Then, so I was quite emotionally spent, whatever. I went to Rutland and it was like, you could tell it was going to start raining. 
like badly. And my route, it was actually really beautiful. I did it around Rutland Water. That's probably the only thing anyone knows Rutland about or they've heard Rutland Water but haven't been there. It's quite beautiful. But it was really traily going around this bit. It was I did the first like 10 miles okay, um, very up and down, got back to the team. And then obviously it starts getting dark and just decides to be like 45 degree heaviest rain of the whole time. And I'm there thinking I've got another 16 miles to go here. So at the start, I'm going on the actual route I'm supposed to go on. I get around a corner and it gets so windy and it goes back to that trail stuff. I'd basically done, I think it was, it was two, I know exactly actually, it was 2.9 miles from of a flat section of road that went round from one part of the trail to the other bit. And when I got to that other bit, I told Robbie, like the main running guy, I was like, take the van back because he was going to meet me to run to where you just left me from that 2.9 miles back. And I'm just going to go up and down from here. So did that and decided at halfway that I was going to see if I could just run the rest of it. And the day, like the one earlier had been a bad one, which everyone had seen. So the last half, I just had it in my head that I didn't, I could run all of it. And if I needed to stop, I'd stop at either end of that 2.9 miles and take a pee or have a drink or whatever. So I'm getting to the, I've done most of it and I've got, what did I have? I had 4K left when I'd done, I think it was like three lots of that out and back. And I get to the van, I've been running well, but it's got to that point, you go through levels when you're doing these things where you've got people running around you. So I had, I had three people, I had the camera guy, James, I had Elliot and I had Robbie. And at the start, it's like jokes. Everyone's laughing around and then there's like a tangent or there's like a, there's like a mood shift and everyone can feel it when you kind of either get serious or you just need silence. And that normally happens when it gets kind of dark as well. So that's happened. We've got back to the van. We've got 4K left and we're running in real heavy rain here. Got all got rain jackets on, soaked through. I'm, I was actually feeling good about it. I was enjoying the suffering. And that kind of all came together in that last 4K. I remember telling James, I was like, the, the van had a shower, right? And I was like, can you turn the boiler on so there's warm water for when, when I finish? And I remember when I said that, in my head, I was like, I don't want, that's not for me, that's for everyone else. So that last 4K, I remember just like taking off, shooting out 2K and literally in my mind, in my memory, and I remember when I was doing it, it felt like five minutes. It obviously wasn't, but I was running hard. And then for the last kilometer, I took my rain jacket off. I took my top off. Robbie was like, do you want me to carry that? I gave him the rain jacket, but carried the other one. And I just wanted to, I wanted to feel the exact environment I was in. I wasn't trying to like shelter myself from what was going on. I wanted to feel that exact moment as it was, as I was seeing it rather than like being undercover or whatnot. The team kind of lost their shit. They're like, what the hell's going on here? And I literally did my fastest mile as the last one on the last double, which if you're thinking about it, technically should be like the hardest is what I would what I would think out loud. So yeah, I just sprinted that last mile. And that's another one where I like, I've taken something from that, like a huge amount of strength for like future endeavors. So yeah, that was a long section but my two big stories <laughs> nice yeah i think we're quite happy there yeah i think that's a lot of really really good information for people right there yeah 48 30 what a mission what a journey
well, I feel inspired. And if I was able to run, <laughs> I probably would go and run. I've actually missed running and watching you do all those marathons, even though I don't want to do anything nearly as similar. I wouldn't mind just going for a little 5k. So I'm sure there's plenty of people out there that have felt inspired by not only what you've done, but the message that you've put out there as well. And the positive message as well, not being this person that's complaining about how sore they are, because there's definitely moments where you were sore, but you don't have to tell everyone about that. But um, yeah, any final things that you want to say, William? No, just the support has been incredible. Like money raised, I checked earlier was including gift aid was over 41,000 just on the page. And it's obviously a text number as well. So I don't know what that actual total is, but yeah, the messages along the way, the support from you guys here and the wider community has just been absolutely incredible. And this is, this is never a thing done by an individual. Like sure, I might be out there running, but a huge thanks to my close team for helping put that together. Charlie, Josh, Robbie, my dad and my brother that mucked in, James that was on, that was filming the whole thing, which will probably become something maybe early next year. But yeah, it was a, a hell of a journey. Learned a lot of lessons, can bring them into my my life and existence now. And yeah, I'm ready to get back into normal life and just be grateful for everything that's happening. And if you do want those links, if you're listening to this and you want the links there in Will's bio, they're also in both the Pure Sport pages bios as well. And if you do want to listen a little bit further, one of the first podcasts, one of the first Pure Sport ones is one of the ones that you did after Joggle. And I've listened to that one. So if you want to go back in time and listen to that. story. Yeah, where he goes into a bit more detail about the stuff that he touched on earlier, because that was fascinating as well. And then watch that documentary as well. Yeah, I can get links to that. So yeah. Thanks team as ever. Good to be back. Let's crack on. Yo, thank you Pure Sport fan for tuning in. As a valued listener, we'd like to offer you a 20% discount code site-wide on puresportcbd.com. Use the code PROJECT20 to level up your life. If you like this podcast, like, subscribe and share with your friends. And remember, no stress, stay blessed and we'll catch you next time. Thank you.